This morning, I, uh, I looked for, you know, I started thinking weeks ago when um, Julie and I were talking about graduation Sunday and planned it for this day. I started thinking about what scripture should we use and what scripture did I want to use to kind of tie this, this morning together. And I um, you know, I start looking and reading and praying about it. And just by wonderful providence, I happened to go back and I looked at the gospel reading for today, the lectionary reading, the, the shared reading for this day. And it comes from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And, and I read that and I thought, I don't need to go anywhere. This is perfect. This is perfect for today and for, for the, I think, the challenge for us all in our journey of faith. And these words that Jesus speaks that, that I know for some of you are, are very familiar. But I want to read it. Let's start with these words. Let's go right into John chapter 10 today. This is the, the subtitle, The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. And I want you to hear these words that Jesus speaks. He says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep's pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, um, brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand that he what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us, let, yes, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we pray your blessing on your word and on your invitation and on the opportunity we have to hear your voice and to respond in obedience and faithfulness. Bless these moments together. Speak to our hearts and use us for your purpose and your plan. We pray in Christ. Amen. Amen. So, the key verse, the key phrase that, that jumped out at me, the familiar phrase, when I read this and I thought, oh, this is perfect for today, is that invitation Jesus gives at the end, that promise that Jesus says, I have come, my purpose, my value, my desire is that I have come that they, and they speaks to us, may have life and have it to the full, or have it abundantly or in abundance. There's a number of ways that gets translated, but it's this invitation to full, complete life. And, and that becomes, I think, a, a natural pursuit that we all have. Now, we recognize the, the invitation to kind of embrace the life before us and, and to seize opportunities. You know, we recognize it at a time like this, at, at graduation time. And, and as Ryan and, and, and Darian and others are, are sitting through graduation services and listening to speeches, they'll hear those kind of things to embrace the opportunities. Um, to re remember um, Dead Poets Society, uh, Robin Williams' character, the teacher a few years ago, seize the day, right? Carpe diem, seize the day. That, that becomes this, this invitation that, that they're given, but it's an invitation we're all given. It's, it's, not, it's not relegated to a season of our life. But I think it's an, it's an ongoing invitation for us 
to, to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives, to, to seize the moments that God gives. It manifests in different ways throughout the years. A, a couple years ago, I used this as an example because Ryan couldn't stand this acronym. It drove him crazy. But you remember a few years ago, the, the popular phrase was uh, YOLO. You remember that? Any of you remember that? You're looking at me blank. What did it stand for? You only live once. That was the big thing. You only live once. And, and it got overused ad nauseum. But, but, the, but the, the truth is, is it speaks to this, this fact that we do only get this, this life. This is the one we get on this earth. And, and we are invited to, to take advantage of it, to, 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 use, to seize it, to use it to its full potential. And that's what that kind of was an invitation to. Sometimes that gets used to be dumb. Sometimes you only lived once is that thing you say before you do something you really ought not to do. It can be very selfishly used. There have been a few times in my life I've stood in places of doing things that I shouldn't be doing, not because they were illegal or, or, or harmful to anyone else, but because they were just dangerous to my own well-being. I stood once, I think I've told you, on the, on the um, rocks in the Pacific Ocean when we were in Hawaii, and I, I had an opportunity to jump into the ocean, and I'd never swam in the Pacific. But it was a pretty good jump, and I had no idea how I was going to get out. It was a very dumb thing to do. But in my mind, I was like, well, you only live once. And there you go, boom. It might be the end of your life because of what you just did, but you only live once. Sometimes we do that, but that's not what, what we're talking about. We're talking about an opportunity not to, not to look for selfish gains, but to, to make the most of the life that God gives us and the invitation Christ offers to us so that we can make it count. That we can, we can have a life well lived and that it, it contributes and it makes a difference. And so with that in mind, I came across an article recently and, and um, it, it identified three common pursuits or values that people have for their life, wishes they have for their own life, regardless of the age. And it was defined by three key words. It was excitement, significance, and fulfillment. Excitement, significance, and fulfillment. And the first was this, that people identified in this study, named as one of the, the desires and wishes for their life, is that their life would be exciting. That their life would be exciting. Now, the truth is, we define that differently. What is exciting for you may not be exciting for me. What's exciting for me may not be exciting for you. But I would think that for most of us, that's something we would hope for. That our life invigorates us. You know, that we wake up in the mornings with some anticipation of the opportunities before us. doesn't always happen. Not every day that happens. But that it becomes more common than it's not. That, that our lives have, have a sense of adventure to them. Stephen Curtis Chapman years ago titled the song, The Great Adventure. About this invitation that Jesus gives us. And so I started to think about that in the framework of these words in John chapter 10, and something jumped out at me in verse 3. And let me read it again. Jesus says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, being the shepherd. He opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And I started to think about that simple phrase, he leads them out. I never really thought about this before, but the, but the image is that the sheep are in the pen. They're in whatever that pen would have looked like. And, and the pen is a safe place. 
It's a place of security. It's, it's a layer of protection from predators and those that would, would do their harm. It may have been a place of shelter from the weather, but it is a safe place. But the shepherd leads them out because they can't grow, they can't properly feed, they can't develop, if you will, in the pen. So they have to be willing to step out of the safety zone, if you will. The shepherd leads them out. Jesus gives us an invitation, but it calls us out of safe places. It calls us out of those tendencies we have to stay in those locations and those environments that are secure, that are comfortable, that are easy, that are protected. We all need those at times. We need those retreats. We need those places that we can, we can go to when, when from, for um, kind of renewal. And we need safe places. It's, it's not to say that you shouldn't ever be there. But life becomes dull. Life becomes dry. Life becomes devoid of excitement and adventure when we become permanently parked in places of safety and protection. The shepherd leads them out. It is a journey. It's a process of moving, of going. John, Peter, James could have never experienced the adventure Christ called them to if they hadn't been willing to let go of their nets and follow. Moses couldn't have been the leader that he was if he hadn't been willing to walk away from the flock in the desert and go back to Egypt. And we can paint this picture over and over and over again. It is amazing how people have this concept of Christianity and this following of Christ as something that is boring or dry or dull. Because when I read Genesis to Revelation, I read the stories of men and women whose lives were anything but boring, dull, and dry. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther and Ruth and, and Deborah and Joshua and Moses and Joseph. Peter, James, John, we could go on and on because they were willing to step out of the safe places. We have a tendency to want to kind of pull back because life can be hard. Life can be difficult. And sometimes we get beat up. And you know, that will happen. Hear me say this, as you've heard me say over and over again, the, the invitation out into these places isn't a guarantee that it's always going to work your way or that you won't experience failure or difficulties or setbacks. You know, we, we know that. We know that's part of the journey. In fact, we should in some ways embrace those. Isn't that kind of weird? Something to say. Embrace your failures. I was driving home yesterday from a awards banquet that, that Tony and I were at with Ryan. And as I was driving back, I, I was channel surfing like I do on the radio. And I came to one of the talk stations, news stations that I have. And there was an interview that was being conducted with a gentleman by the name of Nolan Bushnell. Now, I'd never heard that name before, and I really don't expect any of you had, though one person in the first service knew who Nolan Bushnell is. Does anybody here know who Nolan Bushnell is? Do any of you know? Yeah, you were in the first service. You don't count. Um, <laughs> Nolan Bushnell was one of the creators and founders of Atari. Now, see... Yeah, some of you, and that jumped out at me. The reason that I, I kind of stopped and listened is because I came of age in the Atari age. I mean, I can remember those cartridges and those consoles. And if you, when I was a kid, if you had an Atari at your house, you were the place to be. I mean, it was, it, it would be so fun to make our kids go back and play those games. And you were rich, yeah, and you had money, which is why we didn't have one. 
Um, so uh, dad's shaking his head. Yeah, we didn't. Um, but, but he was the founder of Atari. So in 1976, he sold Atari to Warner, which became Time Warner. He sold it because he needed capital for $28 million, which, you know, by today's you know, standards in, in the tech world isn't a lot, but it was huge then. Two years later, he was fired from the company he founded. In the meantime, though, he, um, he started another business, another adventure in 1977. He, he, he had at one time sold arcade games, video games. You remember the, uh, the classic arcades a lot of us used to go to and you'd feed the quarters. And, and he talked about the fact that an arcade game back then went for $15,000. It's huge. But over the course of its life, it could make about $50,000 in revenue. So he realized there was a lot of money to be made in the games, which you needed to kind of capture people's attention. You needed to keep them at the arcade more than 50 cents or 75. They needed to be there for a while. So he thought, you know what? We need to marry the food service and arcade games. We need to bring those two together. And he got this idea for a, uh, a restaurant that would, that would capture the attention. Anybody know what restaurant he then founded? Chuck E. Cheese, right. He founded Chuck E. Cheese because he'd been fascinated with Disney. Could never get a job. Got turned down every time he got, tried to get hired at Disney. But he saw that. He saw what they did there. He said, we can, we can animate a, um, an animal. We can kind of create this environment. So he bought, now here's a side story. He bought what he thought was a coyote costume. Because it was going to be Coyote Pizza was the name of the original. And they got it. And the animators started working on it, and they called him up, and they said, well, what do you want to name the rat? <laughs> and he said, what do you mean rat? It's a coyote. He said, no, this is a rat. So he had a rat. So the original name of the restaurant was going to be Rick Rat's Pizza. <laughs> exactly. And his marketing people said, you cannot name a pizza place after a rat. You can get away with the anime. So they, they, he went back. He said to his team, he said, you name it. And they came back a little while later, and they said, we have a three-smile name. I loved it. A three-smile name, Chuck E. Cheese. He said, because you'd smile every time you say it. And started. So here, the second company that becomes wildly successful. But in the course of, of the discussion, and this is kind of what I'm getting to, in the course of the discussion, they asked him an interesting question. Because he also commented about how many businesses he had started and things he had done that had crashed and burned that had failed. And they asked him, they asked him this question. They said, what would you go back and tell your younger self? He's in his 60s, maybe 70s now. He said, what would you go back and tell yourself as a young man? And that question caught my attention because I've thought about that. I mean, who hadn't thought about what you would go back and tell yourself if you could go back to your 18-year-old self and, and give yourself some advice? And, and he has plenty of things he could have avoided. In fact, one of the things he talked about, in 1976, a friend of his by the name of Steve Jobs, <laughs> listen to this, needed some capital to invest in his new company and asked Nolan if he would invest $50,000, and if he did, he would own one-third of this new company. And Nolan says, I was so smart, I said no. <laughs> and he says... It still makes me laugh today when I'm not crying. <laughs> because if you don't know, Apple, which is the company I'm talking is worth $750 billion today. So there's your key. There's your billionaire. Find that company and invest in it. Good luck. And let me know if you do. 
Um, so, so, you know, he, the point is he has things he missed along the way. So I asked him, what would you go back and tell yourself? And this is what he said. I wouldn't do it. He said, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't go back and talk to myself, Zadie, because I would tell myself the things to avoid. And if I missed the failures, I'd miss who I am today. Without the failures, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I thought, that's a powerful mindset. Because it's true for all of us. We've all had some painful failures. And I think, I know I have. And I have some things I don't want to live again. But I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for those. So Christ calls us out of the pen, out of the safety. And not because it's always going to work out. But because that's where he is in the journey. So, so we want, we seize this opportunity for adventure. Here's the second thing. We want a life of significance. And that significance is defined by this. It's the very next thing Jesus says. He says in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They follow him because they know his voice. If I could give advice to these young men and to these young people and to each of us, don't forget to listen to his voice because as life goes on you will have a lot of voices in your ears we know this we have a lot of voices in our ears that tell us things that are very different than what jesus teaches that tell us that it's about you make yourself happy serve your needs take care of number one we have voices that want to say you know what this faith thing this jesus thing this creator god that's it's garbage it's not true that want to say that's that's myth that's fictitious ignore that Voices that want to say, your life is defined by, by your wealth and by your, comp, by your accomplishments and by your bank account and your material things. All these voices that just vie for our focus. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Don't lose sight of listening to his voice. Prayer, worship, fellowship with other Christians, mentors in your life that, that have been where you're going, that can speak truth and encouragement into your struggles and challenges. These are the ways we listen to his voice. Because Jesus always leads us on a path of significance. But that significance is not defined by what we get, but by what we give. It's not defined by what we attain, but what we offer. Jesus always, when he, from the time he called those disciples into that journey, he always led them to places where they could impact and bless other lives. That becomes a life of significance. A life of significance gets defined by who it is you are impacting. And that can be hundreds and that can be one at a time. It, the numbers don't matter. It's the effort and the significance that matters. It becomes a ripple effect. Sometimes it's small ripples that have powerful repercussions. But Jesus, over and over, when he went into places, when he went into the city, he didn't go to the temple with the religious leaders. He went to the pool of Bethesda where the lame and the afflicted were so he could heal and bless. He walked the streets where, the, where the, the lame and the blind were so he could heal and bless. He went into homes where it was so crowded they would have to dig through the roof to lower down the paraplegic where he could heal and he could bless. It was always defined by what he gave to others. That's what measures a life of significance. The sheep hear my voice. They leave the pen, but they follow the place I lead. That becomes significance for us. The final piece is fulfillment. He said that one of the great fears that people have is they get to the end of their life and they look back with regret, thinking that they had wasted it. And I started to think about that. What defines a wasted life? And I don't know that I have the best answer for that. 
But I started to recognize this. And in the conversations I've had with people, because ministry affords me this wonderful experience and sometimes painful experience, is that I often get to spend time with people in their last days of life. People who know their hours and their minutes are drawing near. And in those conversations I've had, inevitably the most dominant thing that is talked about outside of faith and the promise of what Jesus has offered us and life that is to come, but what we talk about over and over again are the relationships. People talk about their children. They talk about their spouses. They talk about their parents. They talk about their friendships. They talk about the relationships that have defined their life. I have yet to have anybody sit there and tell me about their bank account or describe their big houses that they once lived in. Those might have been part of their story. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not what's of prime importance in those final moments. And I started to think about Jesus invites us. This entire passage, his entire ministry is always about being invited into a relationship. Our faith is always about relationship. It's about nurturing the relationship with God and with each other. And if you invest yourself into anything, invest yourself into your relationships, into the people that God has placed in your life and to the lives that God has placed you into. Because that's what's going to matter. Remember this truth. You are loved. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wants to give us the best. Well, you want to give the best to the people you love the most. And Jesus says, I love you the most. You and you and you and you and you and you. I love you all the most. I want you to have this because I love you, because I want you to be in a relationship with me. But he also wants us to be blessed in our relationships with others. It's this road, this journey that Christ calls us to, that is full of adventure, that is full of significance, and that is full of fulfillment. This is the gift Jesus offers. No, this isn't a, for graduates. This is for us. Because we're all in the process of becoming. I pray that you find those blessings. That your life can be one that is defined again by adventure, by significance, and by fulfillment in the relationships with others and with Christ who calls. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, that we would um, be open to the truth of your presence, the power of your love, and to the adventure and the opportunity you call us to. As we celebrate new opportunities for, for Darian and for Ryan, help us to remember we are constantly facing new opportunities and that, uh, that you call us forward in faith into a journey and to a road of becoming all you have offered to us, a life that is in abundance, a life that truly counts. Hear our prayer. We pray it in Christ. Amen.